It has uh, been interesting to study Revelation this year, hadn't it? To uh, start back in April when we were kind of everything was was blowing up with COVID, not that that's over, but when everything was, you know, beginning with that, and then we came into the summer of uh, social unrest and social injustice, and then now as we come to the last chapter, as we come to the conclusion, we do that right on the heels of this election. 2020 has certainly had a very end-of-the-world feel to it, hadn't it? Are are we supposed to say, hey, thank you, Lord, for the illustration as we study this book? (laughs) I was really wondering what that felt like. Uh, But very not funny, it, it, it very much has felt that way. And as elections can tend to do, especially in the heat of it, uh, right after it, 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 it continued to have a, we're on our way to heaven or we're on our way to hell. All the answers are coming or we're, we're at the end of America. You know, where, where do we go right now as Christians? What are, what are we supposed to think as believers? I, I would imagine each of these parties believes They're a solution to a a sin in our nation. The Republican Party has tended to take on that issue of abortion and the sanctity of human life. And there would be many of us who feel like that. That's the issue. If I'm I'm coming down on one issue, it's going to be that one. And likewise, on the other side, on on a Democrat sense, it's more of probably at least recently is going to be issues of racism and the sin of racism and the injustices that flow out of that. And we look to these elections to solve something, to fix something, to make us right before God. And I I wonder if just for a moment in some kind of world that doesn't exist, if we could just pretend we had elected a leader that could eradicate both of these things. Everybody's happy. There's, There's no more racism. There's no more abortion. And we are now a righteous nation before the living God. I had that thought just this morning. And while both of those issues are huge, and both of those issues are the kinds of issues that you anchor a vote to, the day after January 20th, the inauguration in, 19, in 2021, regardless of who takes that inauguration, it certainly appears like right now that's moving toward Joe Biden. But regardless of the person that stands there and takes that inauguration, on the next morning we will wake up to every bit the godless and immoral nation that we are. And I'm not, I'm not saying that out of some kind of hate for America. I love the United States of America. I think it's the greatest nation that has ever blessed this planet. 
We're not a perfect nation. I don't hear anybody that loves America expressing that we're a perfect nation. As a matter of fact, it's much more than not being a perfect nation. No, our our nation has sins in it. it. It has wrongs in it. Going back to our very birth where where in our DNA, in our birth was slavery. That is a gross, immoral, horrible sin that actually was not just something that happened in America. It was actually a, a part of our birth. And yet with that, I don't know if there's ever been another nation that loved their neighbor like themselves. Whether that be the actual physical neighbor next door to us or the way America has moved throughout the world to to care and to help and to provide for so many other nations. I, I, I love our nation for the religious liberty that it gives us. I, I fear, I mean, if, you, if, if, if indeed Biden is the president and if indeed he and Congress bring about the Democratic platform of 2020 as written. I'm not talking about a tweet that I read. I'm talking about going to the Democratic platform for 2020. It has multiple issues that will bring an ultimate end to religious liberty in America. You know, that that scares me. But then I come to where we are today in Revelation 22. I wonder how much the barometer on America has moved for God based on this election. We're still godless and immoral no matter who wins and no matter what government reigns. And if we're basing everything on religious liberty, I'd prefer to have it than not have it. I know Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and most of that he wrote from prison. So it doesn't appear to slow God down a whole lot, whether you and I have liberty or not. John, who wrote Revelation, the very book we've spent six months studying, did that in exile. I don't know if you know what exile is, but it's not freedom. It's not liberty. As a matter of fact, none of the Bible was really written with much in mind of people's freedom. Because the world hasn't been a great affordor of freedom. So, as we come to Revelation 22, and I, I, I just continue to be amazed at, and this is just our church. It's not like every church in America has been studying Revelation, but that's where God led us. That's where we have been. And as we come to Revelation 22, we find not only an incredible closing to the to the book of Revelation, an incredible closing to the Bible, but we find exactly what we need for today. No matter how this coming week works out, no matter who is inaugurated, we find exactly how we are to take on an existing government or a new government. Our, our orders don't change one bit. One might sting a little more than another, but what we do doesn't change one bit. So let's look at that. Turn with me today to to Revelation chapter 22. Other than Genesis 1, it's about the easiest chapter in the Bible to find. Just go to the end. It's the last page. It's interesting too, kind of uh, 
intriguing that the last page of Revelation really works well, really serves well to be the last page of the Bible. It, it not only wraps up what's in Revelation, it wraps up the Bible. And no, I do not believe that when John received these words from the Holy Spirit, that he actually knew where this was going to fit, understand how this was going to be placed. He wasn't writing, okay, now wait a minute, I need to, I need to think of a good way to wrap up the whole Bible. But while the Bible gives us over 40 authors spread out over 1,500 years, boy, as we come to this last page, we are absolutely reminded there's one author all 1,500 years. There's one author of this word, the living God. Revelation chapter 22, let me begin in verse 7. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely. Boy, in these closing sentences, it is a free gift. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to you, everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is a faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. You know, there's an interesting amount of similarity between Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 22. Now, in one sense, I would say, well, that's, that's not real surprising, right? I mean, you're, you're introducing something. You say, hey, here's where we're about to go. And then when you conclude something, you say, hey, here's where we've been. And where we're about to go and where we've been should sound the same, right? But there's more than that here going on. There's a lot of similarity, a lot of repetition. Let me show you what God wanted to make sure we saw on the way in 
to Revelation and on the way out of Revelation. Look, look at a list here. I'll run through these real quickly. Twelve things, twelve similarities between these two chapters. Number one, they're both, both state this is a, that what we're reading here is a genuine, what's genuine mean? It's real. It's authentic. This, you, you can bank on this. You invest in this. This is the real thing. This is a genuine prophecy. Prophecy is God telling the future. As we run through Revelation and we think about, man, is this going to happen and what's it going to look like and all that? Hey, can I just remind us all that God's batting a thousand on telling the future? And that's not just my faith as a Christian. That's not what I believe because I'm a Bible believer. God batting a thousand on prophecy is objective evidence. It's historically verifiable. It's not up for the debate. It's not a matter of I'm a Christian, so that's what I choose to believe or that's how I choose to look at it. Prophecy, when it was written, is historically verifiable. And how and when it was fulfilled is historically verifiable. I think prophecy is one of the greatest proofs, the distinctness, the uniqueness, and the holiness of this book that we read. I think prophecy is one of the great reasons I believe God's not just a God or the way I look at God. Prophecy is one of the great reasons that God has a name, Yahweh, Jesus. Prophecy, genuine prophecy. Number two, addressed to God's servants. That's you and me. We're, We're servants. Good thing to be reminded of that, isn't it? A servant goes before the master to listen, to listen, to understand, listen to to obey, to do it. As we read this, as we think about what we've read, we're listening, we're understanding for the purpose of obeying. Number three, it's to be read to the churches. I love that statement. may not look huge to you. I just look at that and I think, wow. As the Holy Spirit has given this to John back there in 95 AD, he's thinking about the Heights Baptist in Chesterfield in 2020 AD. Hey, I want this to be read in here. And we've done that this last six months. Number, number four, it comes from God. Number five, it comes from Jesus Christ. Number six, an angel speaks to John. It came from God. It came to Christ. It, much of it was delivered through an angel. It was an angel that, that took John on this tour of what it's going to look like in the end. John is a genuine prophet. We can count on him. It promises a blessing On the way in and on the way out, it promises a blessing to all who obey. Now, shouldn't we just pause right there, each of us individually, and think, whoa, wait a minute. I I think I was just offered something right there. You were offered a blessing based on obeying it. Now, maybe you look at that and think, you know, I'm all full up on blessing right now. I don't know that I don't, I'm, I'm, that sounds intriguing to know what that blessing might be. I don't know that I need it right now. Maybe that doesn't motivate you so much. Well, then you want to go ahead and look at the other side of the coin. Number nine, there's also a warning of judgment to those who reject it. What, what does it mean to reject revelation? It means I keep, I go on and I just, I keep living. I keep living like I've got forever. I keep living like God doesn't really care. God's not really bothered. I, I keep living like this whole sin thing's not that big of a deal. I, I think if Revelation says anything, doesn't it kind of say God cares? 
God's watching. (laughs) Uh, uh, This is all moving to a point and I'm living daily in light of that point or I'm, I'm not. There's a lot of ways to reject what's in this book short of saying, oh, I don't believe in Revelation. Oh, there's a lot of ways to reject it other than that. And when we do that, we actually invite the judgments we've read about into our lives. Number 10 focuses on Christ. No real surprise there. The Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and the Omega. We're writing about the end, but let's be clear, this is... This is a favorite title in Revelation, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. We may be focused on the end, but I want you to know something. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the whole entire story. He's the whole entire story of the Bible. He's the whole entire story of you. You know, everything you are, everything you'll be judged by is based on the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, Jesus. That, that, that's the story. And then lastly, Christ is coming soon. Obviously, we see that message over and over and over. Now, that's, that's kind of funny. That was written in 95 AD, and it's 2020 AD. I don't know how you define soon, but that doesn't feel very soon, does it? Well, we'll come back and look at that in, in just a moment. So you look at a list like that, folks, and I, I think what you've got God doing is you and I, as you and I close the book and, and get ready to head back to our cars, God says, hey, whoa, 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 take these 12 things with you. I, I, I've said these a couple of times now. I really want to make sure maybe you got the Antichrist or didn't. Maybe you understand what the mark of the beast is or you don't. But make sure you take these 12 things with you. And notice how simple and clear and straightforward those 12 things are. So as I take these 12 things with me, what, what is it I'm supposed to do now? What, what, what is it I'm supposed to do next? And I think what Revelation 22 gives us is, okay, now that you know this, here's what you go and do. Here's how you're to go and live. Here are five responses to Revelation 22. Five ways we are supposed to respond to everything that we just learned. Number one, folks, we are to walk obediently. Verse seven, you are to obey, you are to keep the words of this prophecy. We are to obey what we've read. We are to keep it. We're to adhere to it. We're to come up under it. We're to live in light of it. We are to obey what is in this book. Now, there's a lot in this book, and there's a lot that we don't naturally, we're not naturally drawn to in this book. Do I have to obey that? You know, I love, I love verse 18 and 19. Again, not only what a good closing to Revelation, but a good closing to the whole Bible. Verse 18 and 19 warn you and I against editing. Did you know God said, don't edit my book? Don't add to it. You know, you know we, we have a tendency to do that. We, get, we, we read the Bible, we learn something about God, we think how to apply it, and, and pretty soon, and it, this might be a really good thing, but we take a thought we have about God, we take an application we have about God, and we make it the same as Scripture itself. My thoughts are not Scripture. 
My ways of living for God are not scripture. You are not judged by my ways of living for God. We don't add to what is said here. Also, just as great a temptation is to delete what is said here, right? We might think about what's going on out in the world. Obviously, we know the world doesn't believe this and they want to delete ideas in here. But folks, we all struggle with that. There's outside voices and there's inside voices. We all can read things and oh, I don't, God surely can't mean that today. I, that, that can't be this big of a deal to God now. I, you know, I bet God's looking at this differently, you know, because he's all about love and grace now. Like, like he was about something different earlier. <laughs> and, and we'll just start, you know, we won't erase it. We'll just kind of let it fade out of sight so that it's not really real. God says, don't edit my word. I said what I said, and I meant what I said. You live but for a moment. I live in all eternity. Sometimes you can't figure out what to wear. I have all wisdom and knowledge. We don't take our smarts, our experience to the word of God and edit. My responsibility as a servant is to be in here each day. My one question I have, how do I lead to live today in light of what I just read this morning, Lord? That, that's what we do as servants. So what do, I, what do I do at the end of Revelation? What do I do based on, a, on, a, on an election, based on a virus? What do I do? You walk obediently. You walk obediently to your master. Second thing we're to do, I love this one, we worship passionately. We worship, that's what we do today. We worship passionately. I love this little story here of John falling down and worshiping this angel. Do you know this is the second time John's done this? This is the second time. He's like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm just going to worship you. You know, he just falls out in worship. And he knows that he shouldn't do that. And the angel says, you know, you shouldn't do that. Stop, stop doing that. You know, and I think all we've got here is just a little confusion. It happens to all of us between the message and the messenger. But yet, aren't we learning something right there? As John interacted with the message, the message that you and I have spent six months studying, as John interacted with that message, his response was to fall out and worship. And he just got confused for a second and gave it to the angel standing right there. Folks, our response to this is to be in awe of God. What we tend to be in awe of is what's going on around us, right? The future I'm making, that's what I'm in awe of. (laughs) The day that I'm living, that's what I'm in awe of. What's important to me, that's what I'm in awe of. And yet as John read this message, he couldn't, he fell out. He actually had another experience like this where, where actually the word used was he had almost like an emotional breakdown. He came undone. He was so in awe of God. And, and that should be how we respond. That's to be how we respond to this message. That's to be how we respond to this world. We fall out in worship to God. Number three, we witness faithfully. It says there in the passage, it says, don't seal up. Now, that may be a a kind of a counter to something else God said way back in Daniel. Daniel is an Old Testament prophet, hundreds and hundreds of years before John. And, And Daniel probably would be the person 
that would most go with John in seeing the very most of what the end looks like. Ezekiel got some visions of what John saw. Uh, Paul had a number of things that we see like in Corinthians and Thessalonians. Paul obviously saw some of these things, but it, it looks like from the scripture, from what's written, that John got the biggest picture, and right there with that was Daniel. As a matter of fact, there are things in Daniel, written hundreds of years before John, that actually shed light and elaborate on what John saw. So there's some things where it seems Daniel maybe even got more of a picture of some aspects. Yet when he got to the end, there was part that God said, write this down, and there's another part that God said, you need to seal this up. You know why? Because it would be confusing. When Daniel was seeing this, there hadn't yet been a first coming of Jesus Christ. When Daniel was writing this, there wasn't a clarity. There wasn't an understanding of this whole Jew and Gentile issue and how that Jew and Gentile would unfold in the book of Revelation and a handful of other things. But I think in that, God says, hey, Daniel, you can't show that part. It'll be, it'll, it'll just mess them up. It'll be too confusing. It won't add. Because that's what God does. He's a revealer. It's funny we approach this book that it has such mystery and only very few can understand it. Folks, God doesn't give mysteries. God gives clarity. God's a revealer. He brings light. He brings truth. He wants us to understand what is here. And what he showed Daniel, he said, hey, I'm showing you this, but you can't give this to everybody right now. To John, what does he say though? No, now everybody has everything. Now everybody has the full context of the first coming of Christ. They're going to have the context of the whole of Scripture being presented now. That They've got all of that, so now you can go ahead and show them these things. We're not to hold anything back. We're to go out and reveal. Don't seal this up. Do you think that's a command just for John? God would say the same thing to you and me today. Don't seal this up. Jesus Christ is coming back. And you're grossly ill-prepared for that. Ah, but good news. That, that's what we share, right? What, what, what is the good news? <laughs> that you, you can be ready and Jesus coming back can be the answer to everything. Je- Jesus coming back can be the most exciting thing you would ever imagine to happen in all of life. You can be ready for that by Jesus Christ. Go out and share that. That's what we're to do. That, that's what we do at the end of this week. I was a winner. I was a loser. What do I do? I go out and I worship. I witness faithfully. Third, fourth thing we do, we work fervently. We work fervently. You know, we're given, Jesus says, hey, I'm bringing a reward. Now, I don't know about you. I, I think Jesus is worthy of being worshiped and served and going out and doing good works whether I get a reward or not just the fact I'm in heaven right what in the world am I doing there what am I doing being a co-heir of Christ what am I doing being a child of God because I sure haven't lived like it if God doesn't look at me speak to me do another thing for me beyond the cross I come out way ahead I come out way ahead. So I, I, I wouldn't think we need a reward. And yet God brings the opportunity, the motivation of a reward. Hey, when you've done good, you're going to be rewarded for it. Now counter that with the tree of life is free of charge. This is not talking about if you do the right works, if you do enough works, you get entrance into heaven. No, we're saved by the work of Christ on the cross and nothing else. 
I can do a lot of good works. The only problem is none of my good works erase my bad works. And I got a couple of those also. So my good works can't undo the wrong that is in me. But God's good work can. Jesus' good work can undo those bad works. And now as I go on as a, as a child of God and I begin to do good, whether I'm doing that on my own and spontaneously or I'm doing that planned and purposeful as a part of the body of Christ, God says, I'm going to reward those good works. Man, I've been so proud of you these past six months and the good you have been and the good you are doing in our community, the way you're kind of taking that love 804 and running with it. And you know, sometimes you and I can do good things. And have you, have you ever done something good and thought, I don't know if that made any difference. I, I, don't, I don't think that made, or maybe it didn't make the difference I wanted. <laughs> I was doing this good so that, but you know, we always have the promise of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight: Your labor in the Lord is never in vain it never comes up empty now some of that reward i may not see in this life but jesus said well let me tell you where you're going to see it you will be rewarded we are to work fervent fervently for the lord and then lastly number five we are to watch expectantly you know that's um you would think that'd be such a great joy that'd be very easy but it's, it's not easy to do that. We, we don't, let's be honest, we don't watch expectantly. And the reason I know you don't watch expectantly is because I don't watch expectantly. And I, I'm sorry, I'm better than almost everybody in this room. I'm just really, I'm just living with that confidence that I'm doing a lot better than, than you. No, I'm, I'm not. But, but I am telling on myself. You know, like you, I would say the greatest hope of my life is Jesus Christ returning. Like you, I would say, I believe Jesus Christ is returning. Believe that with all my heart. Believe that is the answer to everything. So why, when I believe so greatly about this, can I live a week, a month, six months, without a single thought of the Lord's return? I don't think about it doesn't bring me joy, doesn't bring me hope. It's not guiding decisions I'm making. It's not shaping how I live. And I'm guessing you're the same. I'm, I'm guessing you have within you the ability to live huge chunks of life and never once does it cross your mind that God's coming back. I kind of became convicted because there's actually a lot, not just Revelation, there's a lot in the New Testament that really says a dominant thing I'm to be doing is looking. Every day. And I thought to myself, okay, well, Randy, you're not natural. You believe it, but you're not naturally doing it. You're, you're not waking up every day and looking for the return of the Lord and living like he's going to return. So I don't remember the exact timing of this. I think it was about eight or nine years ago. But I decided, okay, if it's not going to be natural for me to do this, then I'm going to have to discipline myself to do this. You know what that means? I got to choose it. I've got, I've got to do something that chooses to focus my eyes, not what's on right in front of me, but I've got to choose to focus my eyes on the return of the Lord. So I just wrote it into my prayer life. I wrote it into my, my prayer journal. I pray every single day now for the return of the Lord. Every day I pray, Lord, I pray, I pray you'd return. God, I'm getting ready to give. I prayed up at the front of my prayer. And, and, and after I say that, then I get to the stuff I really want to pray about. 
all these things I want, all these things I know that are going to fix everything. And so then I went back and I added to the front of my prayer again. Hey, Lord, all these things I'm getting ready to pray about, let me see they're ultimately answered, permanently answered when you come back. And as long as you're not here, I'm going to have prayer requests. So may that be at the top of my prayer request. And then I pray, Lord, would you actually make that my desire? (laughs) I mean, I'm going to discipline myself to do this. But would you actually make it the desire of my life that you return? And that's hard, folks. Again, oh, I absolutely believe this. Oh, it's the great hope. Man, we want what's in front of us, don't we? I want what's in front of us. I want, I want, I want what's going to make Sunday afternoon happy. I, I want what's going to make Sunday afternoon feel good. And it's hard to get past that. So we got to discipline. I had to. You have to. We have to discipline ourselves to actually choose to be watching for the Lord. He said he's coming back quickly. <laughs> He said that about 1,900 years ago. I don't know what watch you're using, Lord, but that doesn't feel like quick. (laughs) You know, just so we don't wonder what the Scripture's meaning there or what Jesus is meaning there, there's two ways to understand quickly. There's two ways to understand soon. And the word actually used there is quickly, not soon. You know, if my, if my wife, if I'm upstairs and she says, it's time to eat, come downstairs. If I say, I'll be there in just a second... She probably is going to take that, that I'm, I'm going to be there in a few seconds, right? When, when Jesus says, I'm going to be there soon, I'm going to be there quickly, we probably hear that to mean any second now. And that is an appropriate way to understand that. But there is a second way to understand that word quickly. And you have to add the word when. When I come, it's going to be quick. That wasn't a real good clap. Gosh darn, I practiced that all week. And it just fell flat. I wanted like a big boom. And you stop and folks think about it. Think of all the times Jesus talked about coming back in the gospels and what did he communicate? It wasn't that it's going to be today or tomorrow or three years. It's that when it happens, it's like, and what's the word he used? Lightning. Lightning. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to happen, but when it happens, boom, it's quick. I mean, in the twinkling of an eye, eternity is changed. Do you know everything about the way we live says life just goes on and on and on. We have good days and bad days. We have good elections and bad elections. I like the person. I don't like the person. I'm excited about what's coming. I'm afraid of what. But it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And it it really is hard to live in light of this idea, this truth, that we are moving to a place where it changes forever until we get to 2020. And all of a sudden, we got a little backdrop here that, oh, wow, man, things can really change quick, can't they? I didn't even know what a COVID was. And then I find out, oh, it's always been around. I just didn't know it's been around. I didn't know to call it COVID. 19, was there 18 others? Do we know when 20 gets here? Boy, in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, that's kind of where we are in America right now. What is the new norm? We don't know what the new norm is. All we know is something has happened and it feels 
like it can change forever. And it's so small what we're looking at. Just a little backdrop, a little appetizer as we read Revelation and realize, hey, this actually can happen. There can actually, by, by the way, we do know this isn't just an American event. <laughs> this is a worldwide event. And, and that'll be true with, with Revelation also. Jesus Christ is coming back. That's our message, and that's the message of Revelation. We're to live like it. We live like it by walking obediently, by worshiping passionately, by witnessing faithfully, by working fervently, and by watching expectantly. And you know, if we do those things, especially that first one, obedience, Revelation says pretty clearly, it'll cost you. It'll sting. Do you realize God told us long before I had fears or I had an election or I had this? Or God told us a long time ago, you really do this, it's going to cost. You really do this, it's going to sting. But I promise you this, the sting is very temporary. The reward is very eternal. So we come to those closing words then of 17 through 21. And uh, again, the first page of the Bible, in the beginning. Well, that, that sounds like not only a good start to Genesis, that's a good start to the whole Bible, isn't it? And then we come to these closing verses. And, and as God, not John, as God closes the book, those final verses are an invitation. Do you recognize that the first couple of invitations are from humanity? comes from the bride and the spirit. It's the spirit and bride that look to heaven. Now that I've read the whole story, now that I understand all that is going on, I realize the only hope, the only answer is to look to heaven and say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. That is the only answer that's ever going to solve sin and our problems. The first invitation is that direction. But then the second invitation is Jesus looking out to the world. Think of all that's been communicated, yes, in the book of Revelation, but in the whole entire book. And Jesus says, now that you understand, come. Come come to the tree of life. It's free. I paid for it. Come. Come. And you and I carry that message. That's our challenge. That's our opportunity. And that will be our cost. But we carry that invitation into the world. Come. Come. And if we reject that invitation, three times we see that word because there's a sense of urgency in the invitation in there. We are in the hour of grace. The hour of judgment does come. That's what Revelation's been telling us. Hey, God, when are you going to do something about this? He's going to show up one day and he's going to do something about it. We're in the hour of grace, but the hour of judgment does come. It is so urgent that you come to the tree of life. Even so, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you come?
Lord, I think politics are important. I, I think voting is important. I think we always do the very best we can with the information that we have, with the values that we have, with the understanding that we have to choose. And, and politics is real. It has a real impact on a people. But none of it changes what I have to do tomorrow. None of it actually changes what humanity is before you. Lord, I pray we leave here today and we're ready. We're ready to obey you. God, I I, I pray we leave here today and we're more committed to worship than we've ever been before. We're passionate as we have seen the sovereignty of our God, the power of our God, the justice of our God, how perfectly all of that is displayed. Lord, I pray we leave here today and we have more than ever before, we we want to work. We want to do the good works because such a good work has been done for us. Lord, I pray we discipline our heart and our soul to look beyond the things we think are answers, beyond the things we think are happiness, and we keep our eye focused wholly on you. And we watch expectantly for you. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you come? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.